0: I hate this town I hate this fucking town I don't even want to be in this town I know we're to leave this town Couldn't take this town I don't know this town Must have run it now. This fucking town We can leave this town I'm walking on the grass And I've never seen this town She's got dreams too big for this town We're guaranteed to run this town we're stuck in this
1: Hello, and welcome to Gotta Get Out of This Town, a podcast that doesn't exist. I am your best imaginary friend, Elaine, and we me there are two other people. Say hello, people. Hello, I'm Sybil.
2: Hello. I don't have a fake name for myself. I'm Adam.
3: Oh, I wasn't going with a fake name.
2: <laughs> oh, new name? Yep. Neat. Oh, okay.
3: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Both of those discussions were weeks Adam wasn't here, weren't they?
2: Well, you gotta tell <laughs> me these things, yo. <laughs> I thought this was a bit.
1: Nope.
2: Well, I apologize.
1: Um. Yeah. Welcome to get Out of this town. A the trans people judged pop punk from the 2000 podcast. Because why not? Today we are talking about that time the get Up kids go stuck on a wire like a like a bird.
2: Like like the
3: Regina Specter song. Like a couple of mode selector b-sides.
1: Yeah, this is the second time we meet the up Kids. We listened to something to write home about, about, I don't know, like 10 years ago? I think that was even like pre-pandemic or not? Was that pre-pandemic when we started this podcast? No. no. Okay. You'll, you'll understand me. Time doesn't mean anything anymore to me.
3: Mm-hmm. Tell me about it.
1: And uh, yeah, do you remember the Get Up Kids? Let,
3: talk, talk to me about the Get Up Kids. I do remember the Get Up Kids. That was one of the early highlights that surprised me on this show. Mm-hmm. And as well, we will reuse our obligatory from when the last time we did this. Yeah.
0: You'll be accepting my apology for taking things too seriously. Sometimes I'm old enough. Keep routine, sometimes I'm shy enough to scream for everything I broke into. You're barely missing me, I'm missing you. And everything you do, I really do. I really do. Sure, I do.
3: My we are unsure how accurate they are. There is an account that seems to be giving accusations about James Dewey, the band's keyboard player. No one seems to have really picked up on this. Uh, we have found nothing new since the last time we recorded. And the band let him go in the last year with a very no context, we will not speak on this tweet. May not be related to the allegations. He might be a dick.
1: Mm-hmm. He might be like a regular dick or an extra dick, depending on if the allegations are true. And um, and yeah, he's not in the band anymore. So whatever. Uh, again, if you if you wish to not listen to this episode because of this, feel free. If you don't want to listen to this record because of this, also feel free. You're extremely valid. Uh, but we're going to go and talk about this stuff because that's our job, I guess. It is. I don't know. Obligatories are weird. And this is even weirder because the it's like a super small Instagram account that doesn't make it quite sure like what is actually happening it's like he probably like it's probably nothing on like the sexual side he probably just he he seems to have mostly like swindled some older groupies like single moms out of money which is incredibly shitty but still um
3: it's one of the most wholesome obligatories we've had on the show (laughs)
1: that's an oxymoron
3: this guy bounced checks like your shit tax fraud (laughs) you know there's a game that is based on that entire concept that just came out right
1: oh yeah yeah I've seen that turnip
3: boy commits tax evasion is pretty good
1: We talked about the Get Up Kids in episode 5, The Phantom Menace, and if you want to listen to a history of the band, go there, we talked about the whole history of how they came to be, and when we talked about something to write about, a record that basically saved Vagrant Records from bankruptcy, we left the band into basically 3 years straight of touring, with. Even having some dates sponsored by Napster, because it was the 2000.
2: Napster existed at that time.
1: hmm Napster was a big thing. And some people hated it, some people loved it. And if you were like a small indie band on the rise, who probably doesn't sell that much CDs anyhow, you're like, yay, Napster. We love this, because it makes people share our music. For what it's worth,
3: uh, Napster still
1: exists right now.
3: And Juice World is on their front page. Yeah, it's like another streaming platform right now, right? It's like Spotify- Napster is an off-brand Spotify now. How weird is that?
1: Don't you ever think about time and how, like, things end up and it's just, like,
3: it's so fucked up? Remember when Justin Timberlake bought and tried to revive Myspace and it failed? I do. I-I-I don't. That's wonderful. As the touring continued, in 2001, Vagrant Records releases Eudora to capitalize on the band's rising popularity. This is a collection of demos, early versions of tracks released on Something to Write Home About, and b-sides from their history pre-label. After the extensive touring and their rise in popularity as a scene name, The band will take 2002 to start recording their follow-up on a wire.
1: After three years of touring Something to Write About, the band was sort of burned out of the emo-punk sound of the record and decided to try something different to follow up. Uh, By the way, big thanks at the book Post, a look at the influences of Post Hardcore, 1985-2007, because I'm taking all of the information on the Get Up Kids and on Jimmy Edward from that book, it's a really good book, recommend it. Well, you know, the prose the pros is not the best, but it has a lot of good information on bands, so hmm. would not recommend it as like a pleasure read, but if you're interested in the bands, uh, it talks, aside from those bands, it talks about uh, At The drive The Promise Ring, and a lot of bands of the scene at the time, of the emo scene. Uh, It's a good book. Jimmy Eat World, question mark? Mm Mm-hmm. Jimmy Eat World is in there. I took some of the info on Jimmy Eat World from that book when we talked about it. Uh, There are two
3: types of music book I've learned. Ones which are incredibly dry, well-researched deep dives, such as the copy of Energy Flash and its 800 pages I've had sitting around for years and keep restarting and burning out on somewhere in the jungle period. And... Then there's the ones that are basically fan fiction written under the guise of oral histories, which may or may not be useful as actual research tools or could get you kicked out of college.
1: Yeah, pretty much. But yeah, after touring the record for basically three to four years, they were like, uh, we need to heavily reconsider our life and everything that we're doing with our life and everything that we're doing together. And, um... Yeah, instead of buying a sports car, they decided to write a folk record.
3: That is the other flavor of midlife crisis for white guys. <laughs> yeah.
2: I mean, especially ones that already have record deals. For them, it's like, oh, you know, sports car or whatever. But, like, I've, I have can really prove that I've made it if I can make another record.
3: And switch genres
1: entirely. Basically, what they do is start approaching a lot of different producers, eventually landing on Scott Litt as the one who was going to work with them. And yeah, this was definitely a departure from their previous work. Scott Litt is mostly known for being someone who worked a lot with R.E.M. Must say,
3: very happy that uh, post-R.E.M. Michael Stipe is just living his best life.
1: I know nothing of him, but I'm glad you're happy. Happiness is good.
3: He looks like Grizzly Adams, he's come out of the closet, and he basically has a kind of relationship, kind of musical partnership with the members of Fisher Spooner. Mm-hmm. That sounds fun. It's pretty interesting. It's a very different shift from uh, what he was doing.
1: Yeah. Why do we always talk about R.E.M. on this podcast? Because R.E.M. is good. No, that's the point. They're not that good. I <laughs> mean, they're not bad. I
2: Okay, because I personally enjoy them. Okay. I mean,
3: I'm not I'm not REM are the inverse of the Smashing Pumpkins. They both had bald thumb-headed men, but one of them matured and became something a little more transcendent and the other is a sad clown who got trapped on the Disneyland train. The record on a wire which we are discussing the creation of is released in 2002 through Vagrant Records and their sub-imprint Heroes and Villains and baffled many of the band's fans who followed them through their emo days because all of a sudden they're going to uh, pop melodies, subdued instrumentation, and nothing above 150 BPM.
1: I'm gonna rethink this. Yeah, and the record will also be critically panned by most of the press, especially the punk-specific press, which I feel is unfair. I don't think this is a bad record. I actually enjoyed it, to a point.
2: But would you consider it to be a good punk record?
1: I mean, mean, it's not a punk record at all, so no, but it's not brand
2: So the punk fans are going to be like, bro, what?
1: But
3: major bands like Rolling Stone actually uh, really gave this quite a bit of praise at the time, going, oh, wow, these guys have more range than we gave them credit for. Are you
1: sure you're not talking about the Rolling Stone, the magazine there?
3: Did I somehow say the band? Mm-hmm. Mick Jagger decided, oh, boy, these get up kids, they really owned to something.
1: <laughs> they really got up.
3: Keith Richards said, I'd snort that twice.
1: <laughs> Insert <laughs> the, the whatever gif of the twink stand-up comedian Tumblr loves being like, yes, pointing. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I don't actually know any twink stand-up comedians. Most of the ones that I know at this point are chunky women and uh, strange bearded black men.
2: I'm pretty sure she's talking about
1: John Mulaney. Got it. I, I yeah yeah. I didn't know the I didn't know the name. He's not a twink though.
2: <laughs> Fundamentally, because he's not gay. Otherwise, probably. But
1: look, everyone who has a GIF of them posted on Tumblr is a twink, just by definition. It doesn't matter your, orienti- your own orientation, your orientation. Doesn't matter your gender. It doesn't matter anything. If if someone
2: twinkhood is a state of mind.
1: I mean, it's mostly if someone takes a GIF of you and puts like a shitty filter on it and like posts it on Tumblr. Uh, you're a twink. That that, that just happened. You're now a twink. That that happened. Hmm.
3: Despite all of this, On a Wire will be their first charting record, topping at 57 on the Billboard 200 after a couple of weeks staying there. After release, the band ends up selling their imprint back to Vagrant, effectively closing it, and they use the money to buy their own studio for the first time. This is noted because two out of three co-hosts agree, naming your studio The Black Lodge gets our seal of approval.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. nodding
3: excitedly. I I don't know how Adam feels about Twin Peaks, so
2: I I didn't realize that was a Twin Peaks thing. So I was just kind of like, surely this is a reference to
1: something. Two out of three co-hosts agree. Then Adam never seen Twin Peaks, and I'm sure that if he'd ever see Twin Peaks, he'd cry. So yeah, uh, um,
2: you know that's a distinct possibility. Just just uh, my sibling was obsessed with it for a year or two, and uh, very scary.
1: How will how? Isn't your sibling not even, like... Isn't your sibling really young? I have four of them, I think. Ha! Yes, and I think and they I they're each one younger than the other.
2: Uh, yeah, one of them's graduating high school this year.
1: Okay, if it... Yeah. I mean, you know. Not necessarily appropriate for, like, uh, not yet graduated from from high school person, Twin pigs, I've got to say, but... I I mean,
3: when I was in kindergarten, my mother tells a story of the teacher asked, what do you want to listen to today? And I asked, do you have Prince and the Revolution? And she said, no, but we have Mary had a little lamb. And apparently my response was, "Okay, that's good, too. (laughs) (laughs) So I can totally believe a small child getting obsessed with Twin Peaks out of nowhere.
1: Yeah. And I guess like. I was about to say, I guess the first couple of episodes are safe, but they're really not. <laughs> they're really not. I mean,
2: they're, they're a horror fan, so, like...
1: Yes. Yeah, but I mean, sexual assault is a plot point in Primpics from episode one. <laughs> Look, you're perfectly
3: fine as long as they're not following it up with a Blue Velvet chaser. Noted. Blue Velvet was my childhood. Let's talk about this record and rather than horrendous trauma.
2: <laughs> yeah, let's do that. You're a few years overdue.
0: I spent them waiting here for you. Now you're chatting. Just-
1: And we start with Overdue. This is a great start for the record. This is my top track of the record, actually. I love this. I liked it, too. I was like, oh, oh, this is nice. This is a really good folk ballad. And it's just like, it's just good. Like, chill pace, very vibable. Yeah, it's, uh, it's very minimalistic. The verses especially sort of remind me of Elliot Smith, with the singer doing like a way, very soft-spoken thing with his voice, which is, and the sort of monotone melody.
3: Here's what puts this in the top for me. It's the fact that, unlike... There are two types of song on this album. There's short songs which are perfectly paced, and there's short songs which sound like the same 50 seconds of a video game menu track looped two or three times. And this is one that sounds like it actually deserved to be a full 2.59.
1: Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. No, this is a great ballad. The chorus really, well, the chorus works. I don't like how the production sort of swells a bit too much in the chorus. I would have felt this would have worked better if it was kept more sparse and minimalistic, but that's nitpicking. Like, the ending of the song is great, it's again very quiet, very, very minimalistic on some points. The subtle percussions really work, the slightly distorted, almost country guitar gives it like a really unique personality. Like, I do say that this sort of sounds like Elliott Smith, this sort of sounds like Bright Eyes, but it doesn't really that much. I feel especially like the almost country influences give it a very its own thing feel and then then there are the lyrics which Probably some of the ones that I I don't want to say enjoy but I have the least problem with in the whole record They are like a very bit. They're very bitter and sad. They keep it vague So even if it's about something shitty, we don't know about that. And I'm fine with it. I usually say that I want details from this band, but after the last, like, five to six records, I don't want details anymore from this (laughs) band.
2: You know, you know when I stopped wanting details?
3: When we had the death counts?
2: Yeah, Sugar Crush. Sugar Crush, yeah. Sugar Cult. Yep, that one.
1: I mean, you weren't here for uh, Taking Back Sunday, which was an experience. <laughs> yeah. And you weren't here for the last record. I don't know, remember what we did last week. I think I erased it from my brain.
3: Oh, Something Corporate. We never marked that as done.
2: <laughs> you wiped it from your brain so thoroughly.
3: Yeah, there's no checkbox next to Something Corporate.
2: <laughs> so, a anic- little anecdote about the song is that, uh, you know... I really liked it. The first time I heard it, I was like, oh, like this gives me hope for this album. I like it. Right. And then I don't know about the rest of you, but the back half of the album has um, it's it drags. Right. Yeah. yeah. But then, you know, the album loops around and I wasn't paying attention. So the song came back on after the last song of the album. And I was like, oh, what's this? I like. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> So that happened, and it was funny.
1: This era of music is played by albums that are too long. I think every single album we've reviewed for a long while has been like three or four tracks too long. And I I don't know why. I don't know why they do this. And then each track is like two or three
2: minutes too
1: long. yeah. I, it doesn't happen on this one, but it definitely happened on the something corporate record, which was an hour, an hour of music for fourteen tracks. Oh God! I'm still ups- I'm still upset by that. I am still upset by that hour of music.
2: You know what? I'm I'm upset too. Like I like. I am now thankful for homework.
3: Good news, y'all! Next week. 48 minutes at 13 tracks.
1: Why does Avril Lavigne do a 48 minutes record? Her songs are like as flimsy as something that's really flimsy. Why is that 48 minutes?
3: Oh yeah, only two of them go over four minutes.
1: (sighs) Why did we start this podcast again?
3: Because we love each other's company.
1: I guess. We could have talked about Twin Peaks.
3: We can only do that for so long, though. There's only so much Twin Peaks.
1: We could have done the Twin Peaks Minute, where we talk about a minute of Twin Peaks every episode. Oh, no, look, no (laughs) minutes.
2: (laughs) We should have done a Scooby-Doo podcast.
3: That would be content for decades. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Ellie immediately backs out of the room.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hello. Bye. I watched Scooby-Doo when I was, like, seven. It was fine. Even when I was seven, I was like, this is sort of repetitive and not that interesting.
3: Be seven with us forever,
1: Ellie.
2: Well, we can't all be as big-brained as you, Ellie.
1: Look, when I was a kid, you could choose between watching Scooby-Doo or First Fist of the North Star, which had heads exploding. Good point. You know...
3: Velma never learned the five-finger death punch.
1: Uh, Yeah, I have grown up with inappropriately violent anime. Scooby-Doo, a talking dog wasn't that impressive to me at the time.
2: I mean, my choices were Scooby-Doo and whatever the toddlers were watching, so.
3: Also, Scooby-Doo is part of extended Twin Peaks canon. Oh? Oh, this is true. Yes. Mm -hmm. Really? Scooby actually ends up in the Black Lodge. (laughs) That's not a joke.
2: Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Mystery Incorporated was fun.
3: Harlan Ellison was there, too.
2: You know, uh, that's probably the link between uh, Scooby-Doo and my sibling watching uh, Twin Peaks now that I think about it. Very likely. (laughs) Scooby-Doo is a gateway drug to Twin
3: Peaks. (laughs) Anyhow, to get us out of this first track, Overdue is about uh, Pryor's father and things he thinks about as a parent. Quote, if I'm going to learn anything from my parents, it's going to be what not to do.
2: Yeah, that's the vibes I got from it. Yeah,
1: it's, uh, again, it's kept generic enough that you don't have the details, but it's uh, it's a good track for that. It's clearly very bitter, which I can relate to. And, uh, yeah, it's all about, you know, uh, you're trying to do things for me now, but it's too late because you've been an ass for so long. So, fuck off. It's pretty good.
3: Speaking of fucking off, let's talk about Stay Gone.
1: It's almost like the opposite of uh, of the previous song. It's like someone trying to get back into someone's life and being like, I don't regret my previous choices that brought us apart.
2: It's uh... <laughs> Which is um, interesting. Yeah, it's... Uh... One after another.
1: It's, uh, it's an interesting choice of lyrics.
3: Um... Musically, this track is Road Trip Pictures of You by The Cure.
1: Usually, to me, this feels like a chiller version of the stuff that we've seen on Something to Write About. Like, it feels like a Something to Write About song melodically, but it's way chiller, it's way less punk. And, uh, I don't know, it's fine. It's like a little Power Pop piece with almost no punk in it. But it's also, like, really flimsy. Like, it feels like it repeats the chorus forever.
3: Yes, it does not, it does not earn the amount of repetitions it gives its pre-chorus, and that number is, by the way, six in three
1: minutes. That's too much. Like, they definitely had this kind of songs and something to write home about, and uh, I feel the energy helped there, in that... A song that's very repetitive, if it has some guitar behind it, if it has some drums, if it's going a bit harder, you can enjoy it more. This sort of does nothing for me, because it's sort of like this sort of happy, upbeat melody, contrasting with the fairly dark lyrics. Uh, But it's too repetitive, it doesn't do enough to keep my attention, it's not bad, but it's also sort of... Again, flimsy is how I describe this specific song. There's not a lot there to sink my teeth in, musically.
2: Not having something to sink my teeth into is better than sinking my teeth into something gross, in my opinion. So I'm like, you know what? This is fine.
3: The get-up kids. They're like a nice parmesan as opposed to egg noodles and ketchup.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I really like the previous record, Something to Write Home About. This is... This is definitely an interesting record. I wouldn't. It's not great, but it's definitely one of the more interesting things we covered on the show because of how different musically it is.
3: A band evolving like this is a cause for interest, but if they don't go anywhere from this, then this middle transitory period means nothing. It's a dead end, and we won't know that yet.
1: It's mostly like we've. I've talked about it in our private conversations, but it's like. The problem with this kind of evolution is that the emo kids don't want to listen to indie folk, and the indie folk people have better things to listen than this record. Like, this is not a bad record, but it was the, the early two thousand. like, Elliot Smith was still alive. But yeah, mod, like, you know, indie bands like Modest Mouse were starting to form and doing things. You had Bright Eyes which was doing things, it's like, this is a good record, but it's clearly a punk band that went into a folk record, right? It's like, you, you have that feeling, this is a punk band trying new things, rather than like a full-fledged record, and uh, and yeah, and that's sort of the problem with this kind of evolution. I love when bands, you know, branch out and try new things, but there's definitely some issues there, at least commercially. Sometimes
3: these things happen, and uh, a very good artistic decision is the sort of thing that will crash your band's success into the ground like a little puddle jumper plane. You might think you're a pilot. You might think that you can brave the foggy weather that is the music industry. But no, it turns out that's the side of a mountain. (laughs) F. And when you crash into things, your hands slip off the controls and you let the reins go loose.
0: Told. One year spent waiting, waiting for you. This isn't what I wish for. This isn't what I knew. What can wait and do?
1: Let the rains go loose. Um, this is a really good... I dig this. Yeah. No, I like this. Yeah. Uh, it has this dramatic build-up in the intro, which is really good. It made me ask, are these synths or backing vocals? Because there was this really nice synth tone that almost sounded like backing vocals. They did that on a few tracks. Mm-hmm. Really, into that. We're back again into the folk country influences with the guitar, and there's some organ synth which are all over this record, and I like...
2: I do enjoy a good organ synth.
3: It also proceeds to give us uh, the first track that has a climax rather than just repeating until fade out.
1: Yeah, I don't know how I feel about the ending, though, of this track. You know, it took three tracks
3: to get there, though, so they're very all over the place on this album. I like this one, but I could easily see this being someone else's you turned and drove straight into a wall moment. Makes sense. And this is about where I realized this is a fish nor fowl type record, because I don't hate it. I'm actually really enjoying listening to nearly every track, but not much of it grabs me enough that I can remember it. It's put it into the background while you write music. It's I'm cooking to this music.
2: It really is. That's what I was going to say. It's like uh, uh, driving music, you know?
1: Mm hmm. Again, it feels like, so I'm gonna do another weird example, it feels like that time that the Deer Hunter did, like, eight EPs about the different colors of the color spectrum, with, like, each one a different genre, like, it feels like a band trying to figure out new things, rather than a coherent record, which is... Sometimes it can work,
2: and then sometimes you say, "Well, that's what EPs are for, dude."
1: Mm-hmm. Sometimes, uh, again, even the Deer Hunter—they made nine EPs, and like four of them are good. Which ones, Ellie? So green is very good. Green is the folk EP. Green is very good. Uh, white grew on me. It's sort of like a cool play pop EP. Yellow is really good. It's the pop one. Well. Okay, no, I'm going to take out Yellow. Yellow has like one really good song. The same with Black. Black has this body on it, which is their more grungy, but... Yes. Everything else on that record is sort of not great. Uh, Red is their rock record, and it's sort of like mediocre. Orange has about half of the tracks that work. You know, I think there's just three in which all of the tar- tracks work, which is green, white, and um, and violet... I don't know, the one with the, the, the lady with the umbrella on the cover. And that's it. Everyone else is like, there are good tracks on their other piece, but 50% of least success on the other piece. Uh, so yeah, if the deer hunter can do it, you can't. The get-up kids, I guess. This was like 10 years before the deer hunter did that, so... What,
2: I, what, I'm, what I'm getting from this is that we really should have just done a deer hunter podcast
1: again, there's not much material. They've done like five records aside from the piece. Also,
3: I would constantly be trying to hijack it into a Michael Camino podcast.
1: <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> Stay gone. No, wait, let the reins go loose. Um Let the Reins Go Loose. Um the ending I don't like actually. It has this sort of I I, I call it an Elton John ending with the piano. Uh <laughs> Feels very weird. I can see that. Because the rest of the song is really dark. Like, it's like a nice mood, dark mood piece with, like, some guitars doing almost a country thing. And, like, this voice, which definitely has, like, a nasally emo tone to it, but with a lot of grit. Like, way more gritty than a lot of uh, emo singers, which works, weirdly works, with this kind of dark, almost, like, alt-country indie folk stuff and um and then you go into like a sort of like upbeat Elton John outro with the piano and it's just like huh that's that's not that's not the the rest of the song
2: so you're saying that the song fell from your grace?
3: This one is the first real step down. It's got a grungy sound that does not work for me, and uh, especially by the end, all I could think is, this is a garage rock band, not an art group that's experimenting.
1: Yeah, this is another. not- I actually like this song, I don't know why I think the melody works really well for me for some reason, but yeah, this is also another bitter song. And ironically, it's, like, way less graceful than Overdue. It's like, this is definitely a relationship song. This has very divorced dad energy. And, um, I don't like it. It's, like, a bit insuly. We're back into insuly territory. No. Like, it's an artsy insully insulliness. Artsy insulliness, by the way. Great name for a band. You can take that. Um... <laughs> But it's still sort of insulting. It's like, oh, you you go there and like betray people, evil woman. It, it's a they're talking about a woman. They're not, you know, they're talking about we the know. The chorus we know, we know. The chorus is
3: the killer. I'm watching you fall from grace, breaking my heart of gold. Don't ever try saving face. Run with your heart of stone.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is
3: that. Is, that yeah. I'm pure, but you.
1: Duplicitous. To their defense, is breaking a heart of gold is uh, told from the perspective of a third party, but this, 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 this <laughs> it's a rhetorical device. We we know what you know. we, we know.
2: Yeah.
3: Stacy took the kids. The song.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well. I mean, in, in that case, all you can do is go get with her mom.
1: She does have it going on. Oh, that record is great. That, we'll get there soon. That, well, it's not on our spreadsheet. I don't even know what, what year that is. That record is great. Isn't Bowling for Soup on our spreadsheet? That is not Bowling for Soup. That is Fountains of Wayne. I
2: didn't vibe with this song either. Like, it's not horrible. You know, the bar is very, very low on this podcast now. Um, but... I oh, you don't, don't, don't
1: think that... Well, I need, to, I need to interrupt you. I need to interrupt you here because you don't get to tell me that the bar is low after missing last episode. Last episode <laughs> broke me, Adam. Last episode destroyed <laughs> my fate in humanity and in pop punk. Listen. And, uh...
2: You know, that's fair. Like, I've never been so thankful to have to write a paper before in my life, but <laughs> it saved me from something corporate, so...
1: Go on with your thoughts on the song. Had to, had yeah, to say that.
2: Uh, it's not horrible, but I would not willingly listen to
1: it. <laughs> yeah, see, my thing is there is that while I actually, like, while I think the lyrics are sort of bad and weird and insulated, I really like this song melodically for, I don't know why, it just vibes with me, the just melody that they use. Like, the chorus is repeated over and over, but it's uh, actually a fairly catchy and good chorus. The guitar riffs on the postcards chorus, it's like pretty, pretty like pleasant to hear. And it's just like, I don't know, it just has a good vibe. And then you read the lyrics and you're like, oh, st- stop, stop being a douche.
3: Uh, No, I, I can't really add much to it. The very, it seems amateurish production wise compared to so much else on this record. And that was just taking me out of it more by the end.
1: It is more sparse instrumentation vibe, so I get you. Like, there's more guitar, there's less just like... But I don't know, the melody just did it for me. It's a B-side. A lot of the songs are B-sides. A lot of the songs on this record are very like, are you going to put that on the record? Okay. This is the B-side of their other record. <laughs> yeah. It could be. That's, that's the feeling, and... This record feels like the Carly Rae Jepsen, like, B-side version of, like, a really good record. (laughs) So, thinking on it with the history, is there a very
3: good case of a band tours a bunch, burns out on their style, and tries to go in the other direction for the next album? What's a good take on that? Or is it always a bad idea?
1: I'm gonna think about this, in my opinion, but the book mentions Pinkerton. By our good friends Weezer, which I actually mm-hmm. t- don't like that much. Like, anything past the Blue Album, I don't really like by Weezer. But I don't know. I don't know your thoughts on Pinkerton, but that's what the book Post compares this record to. is like their Pinkerton.
3: I will be completely honest with you. I have never listened to Pinkerton.
1: Yeah. Um, okay, I'm, I'm gonna... Well, this is gonna be a little bit, because I want to go through my... Because I don't have a memory anymore. I don't have a memory anymore. So I just need to go through my music library and see if anything comes out.
0: One eternity later.
1: Yeah, I've got nothing. (laughs) The closest thing I have is the guy from the RX Bandit deciding to leave the band and stop doing scam music to go and form The Sound of Animal Fighting, which is a really interesting uh, post hardcore like, noisy, weird shit band. But that doesn't count for two reasons. One, he went and formed another band. And two, The Sound of Animal Fighting actually didn't get good until their third record. I think the first two records are sort of not quite there. So, almost got there with that, but...
3: Oh. Also... Damn it! You instantly gave me one that worked. Talk Talk's final album.
1: All right. Yeah, that, that counts.
3: Yeah, we invented post-rock.
1: Mm-hmm. All right, Grunge Pig.
2: not
3: like this is where the lyrics start getting way more story songy and telling you details you'd rather not hear
2: i don't want to hear them
3: do like the backing instrumentation on this one this is another one of those tracks we mentioned earlier where it's possibly synths possibly vocals as an instrument
1: Mm-hmm. this i i hate this song <laughs> like this is probably my least favorite song from the record it almost has this 70s rock vibe that will continue through a lot of this record but through the lens of their like kind of emo melodies and it should feel like a change of pace because it's really different from the folk stuff that they've been doing since now but it's a change of pace in the wrong direction i yeah it just falls flat for me like it's so slow and it's like sort of a straight up dark rock song and it's not dark enough to create, like, a you know, a mood, an atmosphere. And it's sort of just, like, really slow. <laughs> and it's like, it's like a really slow rock song that doesn't quite do anything that interests me musically. I don't know. It's...
2: This is where the album started dragging for me.
3: <laughs> hey, you know what I'm gonna say. uh if you cut out one of the loops in the middle where it gets really repetitive, this would be my top tra- track.
2: You know, that's, that's fair.
3: <laughs> Tell us about why do you like this song, Sibyl? The backing instrumentation, as I said, really worked for me. It's one of the ones that I highlighted it. It's got a good vibe. The only thing that brings this down to me is there's that middle chunk where it repeats over and over. If this were a three-minute track and not a four-minute track, easily, top of the album for me. It's very much my style, sort of like how when we did the Jimmy Eat World things, I like the butt rock element sometimes. Give me something that sounds like I would hear it on a fart bass in the back alley band.
1: Well, that that is definitely a musical taste. It is valid.
3: Grunge Pig, playing at the pit. See them this Sunday, because on Monday, they're arrested.
1: That,
2: yeah.
3: (laughs) And do you know why Grunge Pig got arrested? Uh. They got high as the moon. is the moon is next and i actually also really like this it was a good low-key tone track
1: how do you like all of the songs that i sort of don't like (laughs) why why is this
2: because if we all liked the same songs all the time this would be a really boring podcast
1: but this is already a really boring podcast (laughs) no i just blew out my mic (laughs) Probably me too High of the moon is um, I don't know They really like the Beatles disguise It has this untypically like Jaunty rhythm And like I don't know, I don't care This is very much one of those songs Where like you put it as a b-side Where it's like we're trying something new And weird but we're not It's not working (laughs) This is one of those tracks that Definitely should be a b-side And yeah I don't know. The
3: low-key instrumentation and heavy piano makes me think that this is what you would hear as, yeah, this would be a studio session for a lot of other bands, but because we're throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks on this album, they tried something very distinct, and it stood out
1: to me, and I would have liked more tracks in this vein. Well, the next, the next tracks feel very much in this vein in that I also didn't like the next track. I think that I enjoy a lot of the middle of this album.
2: I liked High as the Moon. It vibes.
1: Okay. You say that you don't like the Beatles, but you like all of the Beatles-sounding songs on this record? Yeah, that is a legitimate call-out. Uh, hmm. Like High as the Moon and All That I Know uh, really very much sounds like Beatles through the lens of 2000 Indie. Which... Uh...
3: So I'll, I'll talk about all that I know when we swap tracks, but in the case of High as the Moon, I think it's the piano sound being very Ben folds which I know is also not your favorite.
1: Oh, that's what it reminds me of. Yeah. I mean, you should listen to something corporate because we describe them as Ben Fold with a head injury. And we also describe them as, as Vanessa Carlton got drunk in the studio again? So maybe you like them.
2: I mean, I like both Vanessa Carlton and Ben Folds, but I'm still scared.
3: In my defense, I said Vanessa Carlton got drunk and crashed a piano through a wall. <laughs> <laughs> like there's just a steering wheel next to the pedals.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that's certainly some imagery there, Sybil.
3: Making my way downtown, through this car,
1: through this guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think you yeah. were saying something about Highest Moon.
3: This is a sound that vibes for me. I think the incredibly diverse spectrum that they cover for most of this album, I have some things bounce off me, but there's some where it's like, Ooh, I like this. You're getting close.
1: It's not a bullseye, but you're getting close. Well, do they get the bullseye in the next rack? All that I know.
3: This is my number two song, because it has a big funk bass and cosmic lyrics, and this sounds like the Get Up Kids learned Maggot Brain existed, and were like,
1: we can't do that, but what if... Yeah, to me, once again, this sort of feels like the Beatles. This sort of feels like them trying to be Beatlesy, y and uh, most of the time, Ben's trying to be Beatlesy y It's not good. Oh, I'll agree! 100%. I like the Beatles. Trying to be Beatlesy is never a good idea, I feel.
3: The Beatles trying to be the Beatles is the worst Beatles, which is why Magical Mystery Tour is their best album.
1: I mean, I do like Magical Mystery Tour, but I don't get the reference there, but sure.
3: It's them being a psychedelic group instead of a grit-pop band. Oh, yeah. Band.
2: All that I know sounds like if you crossed um, Beatles with Andrew Bird but like made it not good um, yeah not a fan yeah.
1: this is the point where I definitely started seeing the parallels with like bright eyes or maybe like a less hard modest mouth which is a sentence that I just said um. <laughs> you sure did say it I have a
3: much wilder one coming up on the next track, so don't worry—you'll feel better about yourself.
1: <laughs> but yeah, this is the chunk of the record like Grunge, Pig, High as the Moon—all that I know that really doesn't do it for me. It's too, too—we're doing whatever without sticking to anything. I like the next song though. Do we want to talk about Walking on a Wire? Sure. Yeah, this is a slow... It's the
2: Regina Spector song, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's do a Regina Spector podcast. I would love that. We should do that. I mean, I mostly want to talk about 11-11, because that record is underrated as fuck. The, her first record. Honestly, it's so good. It's, it's just, like, fun, like, poppy jazz stuff. But yeah, Walking on a Wire, it's like... A slow atmospheric song It's pretty straightforward, but I enjoy it. It gets the mood right, it could lose about two minutes. I think the the song is about... It's a three minute song that's stretched out to five minutes, but I don't know, this is, this sort of feels like grand, a grunge take that works for me. Uh, the lyrics fit better the, like, dire droning tone, the repetition works better with this slow, almost gossy song, rather than a straight-up rock song that's just played slow. I don't know, this song is really enjoyable as a mood piece, and maybe just a bit too long, but aside from that I enjoy it. The tone of the guitar its really interesting on this record, it's like weirdly sharp all of the time, it pops a lot, and it's really interesting because on this sort of record you maybe want your guitars to be a bit more subdued but the guitar is so like sharp and bright and loud all of the time and i think that gives it some personality i don't necessarily think that it's uh... i don't necessarily think that it's good but it makes the music recognizable mm-hmm. i don't know this song is just like this song is grunge pick that works for me it's like a it's like a a mood piece with like a bunch of repetition a bunch of guitars doing things but it sort of works it creates a nice dark mood better than that grand pig does for me so thumbs up on this one
3: adam you should go before me because i'm about to go full pretentious music critic
1: okay so i
2: enjoyed this one at first i was like oh yeah I can vibe with this. I like the guitar, you know, it's got that interesting sort of tone that Ellie was talking about. Um, wasn't really paying much attention to the lyrics, but like, they're not anything bad. Um, and then, you know, I was like, gee, this song's kind of, kind of dragging along. And I was like, oh no, I'm only on minute three out of five. (laughs) Oh no. Um, and then I didn't like it because it went on for, Probably three minutes too long, if I'm being honest. Like, it could have been good, but it just, it dragged. Hmm. And that's that on that. Sybil, hmm. go.
3: You've got it. So, as we mentioned, this is the longest track warning for the album. But, while I don't think it needs this length, I love the sound of it. Musically, it has the feeling of early post singles. This is one horn away from being Angry Johnny, And that's good because the whole track fits that, given that it is a very slow dirge about a dissolving relationship. The chants of things like, I've been waiting, systems failing, I think the repetition works with the very grim pace here, and it just combines for a sonic... This is the emo pop version of one of my favorite songs of all time, The Cure's Disintegration, which is just a slow, louder, building cacophony of a relationship falling to pieces and everyone getting knives out on one another because there is nothing left to fight for. Now it's just causing all the wounds you can on your way out. Love it! (laughs) Yeah, it's a pretty good track. That's valid. And then we get into the last third of the album with Wish You Were Here.
1: Look, I don't like Pink Floyd that much. Like I'm not a big fan, but I don't think it's legal to call your song Wish You Were Here. Like I think you can go in prison for that.
3: Yeah, it's it's also not nearly as good as, you know, a tribute to your schizophrenic bandmate who goes into self-isolation for another forty
1: years. I mean, it's such an iconic song from such an iconic record that's like You can't use that name if you're making music, you you just can't. Especially in this case, because this song is sort of flat and not interesting. This is probably the worst folk song on this record. It's sort of a folk-slash-alt-country ballad that tries to incorporate some bits of emo stuff. There are some almost emo-ish breakdowns during it. But it just doesn't gel together and doesn't work that much. Uh, And it just makes me think about Pink Floyd. So, what are going to do?
2: Not listen to it again.
3: Yeah. Most of my notes for this one are incredibly stupid combinations of bands we've covered and frog rock tracks, as well as the words, not a lot to this one. Mm-hmm. I want to hear Zebrahead cover, Shine On You, Crazy Diamond. <laughs>
1: I... Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, I have a good one. Uh, okay. Jimmy, it worth covering Welcome to the Machine, though? Tell me that wouldn't be awesome.
3: I also have the worst possible one. Hmm. Something corporate's comfortably numb.
1: <laughs> uh, imagine if the if the nostalgia critic covered the whole of the wall. <laughs>
3: I know that exists. <laughs> and I'm never going to watch it, but everything in the universe keeps trying to get me to, or the videos taking a review of the review, or no, it's not going to happen. I am not so far into despair that I hate myself that much yet.
2: Speaking of horrible covers of songs, um, I recently heard a cover, I don't remember who did it, of Nine Inch Nails Closer. That was like a happy, jazzy version of it.
3: Richard Cheese. Um,
2: Probably. Um... And I died a little bit.
3: Lounge Against the Machine is kind of a weird one that way.
1: Concept. This song is
3: good. This is my burlesque name. <laughs>
2: you know that that's that's not a bad one. Um, out of this album on Spotify, at least this is the second most streamed. What? With over a million. What? Overdue has over three million, and everything else is under three
1: hundred and fifty thousand.
3: Are people just searching for a track by the band
1: Kansas and get this one instead? Is that how that happened? Uh, This might have been one of the singles. I actually didn't look at what were the singles for this record. The only thing listed as a single was Overdue. Okay. I mean, this is one of the best track of the record. I really like the, um, again, more with the folk feel, and it has this weird distortion on the voice that's like super 2000 indie, but sort of works. Only one of them. There's two vocalists, and only one of them has the filter. That's the most baffling move. I like it. I think it's an interesting contrast. It sounds nice. And especially you contrast it with the super poppy piano going on. And yeah, this song works for me. It's like, it's a fairly good indie folk song, which is only hampered by the fact that like, emo kids at the time didn't really want to listen to indie folk.
2: I have bad news for you, Ellie. Hmm? You know what I have in my notes about this song? Oh no, you hate it? What if the mountain goats were bad?
1: <laughs> i mean, yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> this is my favorite of the back third. Uh, part of it comes from the fact that until the vocals kick in, it sounds like an acoustic cover of Back on the Chain Gang. But just slower. But then the filter just leaves me going, what happened here for the whole rest of the track? Especially at the chorus where you have the duet and one guy is coming through crystal clear and the other guy is just phoning in from a bad Zoom call.
1: (laughs) I like this. It works for me. It's, uh, It's different. I mean, it's not amazing, but it's different... Don't be scared to be different, Ellie. It's sort of like uh, it's something that maybe Bright Eyes would do. It reminds me of that kind of stuff. Sort of experimental. And I don't know, it melodically just works as a folk song. It's about camping. Nice thing to make, make a song about.
3: My biggest complaint is just how jarring that discrepancy is. That's it. I don't think it worked to improve the vocals. I think it just left me baffled why you would go halfway.
1: It made my ears interested. Can I just say that? Get up, kids. (laughs) A-S-M-R. Oh, no. And speaking of the worst idea...
3: Me song, me song, me song.
2: <laughs> the the thing that I thought was funny about the song is that it's called The Worst Idea, and it's also the song that has the least streams on the album by, like, tens of thousands.
3: Youch!
1: Oh, I like the song.
3: It's okay. I, it, I think it's a two-minute track. It shouldn't be three and a half.
1: I think this is the better rock song on the record. Like, this feels like an evolution of the sound on something to write home about. It has... The, that same melodies, that same kind of chorus, but mixed in with the new guitar style and with the whole, like, synthy organ stuff. It's not amazing, but so it's a pleasant song. With uh, you know, It's the best mid-tempo song of the record. And again, the chorus is well written. It's pleasant. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. It's not bad. It just, it's too long. Yeah, you yeah. can see that. I didn't feel that, but I did not really like the chorus on this one, so you feel this stuff less. Multiple times on
3: this album, I wished they would cut one repetition of the chorus, and that would do so much for me.
1: Yeah, that's a lot of the bands on this podcast. Yeah, th- and you
3: notice I'm also not taking a... This one is 60% of the track. This is 70% two words by volume, like I usually do, but I think the fact that I'm not but I can pick out that it drags is still a little damning. It's just not the worst kind of damning.
1: I don't know. I think this is a fine rock song. I agree with your point. It might be too long, but I feel that like a bit more energy, a bit more like a sharper chorus to me personally helps me getting through longer songs. And I have more of a problem when songs lack this stuff when they're long. And so, yeah, I didn't feel it that much on this one, but I get your point. If you weren't really into the chorus, if you weren't really into uh, a bit of the energy that they were pushing on this one, I could see it being feeling a bit long.
2: I think that it's all right. I agree that it it was just a a little bit too long, but it was pleasant for the most part. Another song that I think uh, would be good driving music. Also, like, not a lot there.
1: Okay, let's talk about the clothing song, Anna Aang.
3: <laughs> Hannah, Aang, and I are getting old, and we still haven't come up with a way to get out of this joke yet.
2: Hannah, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay, Hannah?
3: <laughs> Hannah, will you hold on? Will you hold on? Will you hold on, Hannah? <laughs> this is my derby name.
1: I I I was about to go into Roxanne by singing Anna, but I don't think that works in any way. So <laughs> let's,
3: let's just get as dumb as possible with this.
1: song and is uh, what if overdue was not as good I don't like the song eh, the song is fine the song is like a bright eyes b-side it's fine like his voice is very which annoys me like in a lot of the song the voice despite not Matt Pryor is not a great singer and has sort of the emo pop pop punk syndrome of the nasally voice but he works on a lot of the song and on Old Don which has again this soft. Folk Ballad is probably the most minimalistic song on the record. There's almost no production in this. It's just guitar, voice is very soft, very quiet, and his voice is just so flat and non-emotional on this specific song, and it really doesn't work for me. And uh I think the song is fine. It's just like the performance on this specific recording is weirdly flat and uh yeah, hmm. I'd rather listen to Overdue which is a way better version, more nuanced, more like, uh, more oomph than this. And uh, yeah, this is what I have to say about "Hannah Hold On. This track
3: is incredibly low energy for a climax, which sort of fits with the tone of this album. It's very low key in a lot of songs. But I also got to the point where I don't know what I was thinking listening to this because my notes are completely insane on this. Here are, th- here are some sentences I wrote about Hannah. Hold on. Everyone is playing us out to sleep. Muppets sing this track. Get me Tim Fallen yesterday. I don't know why I wrote those, but that's the entirety of my notes.
2: You know, that's funny, because I also like this song. Aside from it being... um the dragging end to something it already felt like it was dragging to me. Uh, My notes are, gee, I wish I was listening to uh, Hannah by the Freelance Whales now.
1: And that's it. It is also partly the problem of our system of review where we get the last song and we're really exhausted because we need to think about things for every song singularly. Mm -hmm.
3: Do you know what I need to do on one of our next albums? I need to just play it on random order. Oh, that's,
1: that's interesting.
3: Hmm. See if that changes up how I feel. Yeah. Just shuffle.
1: Yeah, I think I don't know. I feel album flow is really important for records, but I think that's a good experiment and you should do that.
2: You could do it shuffle for your first listen so that way everything's interesting and fresh, and then for your second listen, maybe do it in order so you still get a feel for the structure and stuff.
3: It's probably a good idea since I do notes on the second one most of the time.
2: Mm. Mm-hmm.
0: Gravity reminded me how far I
1: And this was the record. Does any of you have any final thoughts on the Get Up Kids The Wire? I would firmly
3: put this in the top half of what we've covered. Me too. But I don't know that I would put it in the top third.
2: I think it's okay. Uh, It dragged a little bit in the last half, and uh, none of it was particularly bad, but also... Not all of it was my cup of tea, but it did remind me that Hannah by The Freelance Whales exists, so for that I am thankful.
1: So this is definitely the least funny record we've ever reviewed. I don't know if you will agree. (laughs) I think there's an element of comedy to a lot of things that we review, just because of the era and the genre. For sure. And this just doesn't. I think this is an interesting record, I enjoy how they try a bunch of different things. But again, this feels like a collection of b-sides and rarities rather than a coherent record because they do try a lot of things and not all of them work. There are a couple of gems. I think Overdue is worth listening. Overdue is, to me, the best song on the record. Overdue is stellar. It's a great song.
2: There's a reason why it's got 3,220,877 streams on Spotify.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um... I don't know. It's an interesting evolution of their sound. I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's worth panning over. Like people compare this to Dashboard Confessional, and like no, like no.
2: We're not covering Dashboard Confessional this week.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, this is way. uh, Unless Dashboard Confessional gets really good in their next album, I think this is miles ahead. Dashboard Confessional in terms of how it is sound. This is, like, very well produced, and, um, I don't know, a lot of tracks just don't land for me, but this is good. This is, like, one of those records that, if you ask me, is it good, I'm gonna tell you yes, this is good. It's not great, but it's good. I don't know, what are we doing next week?
3: Next week we're covering Let Go, the debut album by Canadian pop princess Avril Lavigne.
1: (laughs) I'm gonna hate this.
2: I'm going to love and hate this in equal
1: measure. I am going to hate this. I'm so this. excited. I'm Honestly, so excited.
2: It's going to be a blast.
1: We just got to a record that I liked, and now we're going to go into Avril Lavigne. Did you know she won
3: a Guinness World Record and a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame award for this album?
1: Amazing. What if the Guinness World Record?
3: Youngest female with a number one album in the UK as of 2002. Huh. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: Same song, different chorus. It's stupid, contagious to be broken. Famous, can someone please save us from Pop Rock 101?
1: So, this was an episode. You can find us at getoutofthistown.com. You can mail us at getoutofthistownpodcast at gmail.com. And we have a mail to read today. Hey, you should read that email. Yes, Mm -hmm. thank you. Uh, We have a mail today to read. Uh, can Can you read the mail? Because I'm bad at reading.
3: This feedback comes from CT. Guy who wanted the DC Talk episode here? Great ep. Really enjoyed it. Spot on throughout. How dare you tell people not to listen to Signify, though? It is my favorite Porcupine Tree album. I find it incomplete without the B-sides on the Extended Edition. Check them out if you haven't.
1: Well, thanks for writing. Um, mm-hmm. You're trying to hold me accountable for a for thing that I said, and the problem is that I don't remember anything that I've said. So if I said people should not listen to Signify, sorry. <laughs> I think the record is quite good. The the title track is great. Um I haven't listened to the B-side, so maybe I would rate it higher in the Porcupine Tree discography if I listen to the B-side. Never listened to those, so I will definitely fix that eventually. Uh, And thanks for supporting us and for enjoying our podcast, because there are not many of you out there, so I appreciate the few people who actually listen to us. We appreciate you. So you can find us on Twitter at podcast. We're on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Play, you can rate and review us, which is great. Do it. It's fun. It's fun. What the fuck am I saying?
2: <laughs> it is fun. I love reviewing things. I just love it so much.
3: You can write literally anything there as long as you give us five stars.
2: <laughs> listen, listen. I love reviewing things so much that I'm doing a whole podcast about it. Listen, it's pretty lit.
3: I will read off... Any review that is written about our show, and I will do it completely straight-faced, no matter what you write.
1: Oh, we do have a review if you want to read it. Five out
3: of five by Deliquid Swordsman. Good show. Funny podcast with
1: great host chemistry. Yes, we do not explode when we come into podcast contact. That is great chemistry.
2: That's boring
3: chemistry. (laughs) As much as you would think that Adam and I are some sort of antipode, we can touch without causing a horrible crisis.
2: We can? Huh.
3: Yeah. If we high-five next time, no one dies.
2: Oh. So what? what, why did that happen last time?
3: Uh, It was the Night of the Razor Babies, and you really shouldn't high-five anyone on the Night of the Razor Babies.
2: Oh, okay. You know what? That, That makes sense. All right. I thought it was a chemistry problem, but, you know... Whatever.
3: No, no. Avril Lavigne solved the equation. Oh.
1: Well, good for her. I don't know what we're talking about. Girl power. I don't know what we're talking about anymore. Uh, Next up, we will talk about... uh, one of the things that I hate...
3: Let Go by Avril Lavigne. Yeah, Let It Go by Avril Lavigne. Weird cover. No, let Go. Let It Go is different. I know she's Canadian, but she's not made of snow.
1: <laughs> well, really weird for them to cover it for uh, Frozen, but sure. Um, Do you have anything to plug, Sibyl?
3: I do. You can look at my freshly revamped website,
1: hellscaper.com. It's got new art. Ooh, new art. Neat. Do you have anything to plug Adam um uh, nope and you can find me as always at ACC the moon on the twitter and if you'd like to support us we do not have a patreon but I've only seen season one of the wire so if you want to send me a box set I'll accept it what if I do that good night everyone good night <laughs>
0: I've got the time to stick around. I'll catch my flight Eat like a pop pumpkin. Get out of this town. What's on your mind? There's no point left to keep your image down. Let's terrify.